What a special, special day that was. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to Definition Church. It is so good to see you, as Pastor Jonathan was saying earlier. If you're a guest today, we're so honored that you'd come and be a part of our service, and we hope you feel right at home for us, church is family. So we're so glad that you're here. And, and I want to give a big shout out to all of you that have joined us online because a lot of our church family travels in the holidays and, and are watching from really all around the world with family and friends. And so we're glad that you've joined us. And then we want to give a very Merry Christmas to the ladies at the Northern Piedmont Correctional Facility. We love you girls. You're a part of our church family too. Come on, Definition. Welcome our church family. So good to be with you. You know, one of the things I love about Christmas is Christmas traditions, and I suspect for most of us, we have some of those, right? In our family, one of our traditions is usually the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we all go together to pick out a Christmas tree. Another Christmas tradition for us is usually the day after Christmas, we head to Wilmington for the week to hang out with family, and another one of our traditions is usually about a week before Christmas, we start the Christmas movie marathon. I mean, we're watching Christmas movie, Christmas movie almost every day, and, and we love all the Christmas movies. And one of the ones that we've already watched this week again was Christmas with the Cranks. Everybody's seen Christmas with the Cranks. So funny. It's such a great, great story because here's this beautiful family in a beautiful neighborhood with a lot of beautiful traditions, but they got this great idea. We're going to skip Christmas this year and go on a cruise. Well, throughout the movie, their plan is unraveling and, and what they learn in the end, there are some traditions, man, we should hang on to. Advent is one of those traditions that we should hang on to because traditions cause us to feel like we belong, safe, comfortable, connected. This week I was reading about Christmas traditions and I found this crazy website. The name of it was Strange Christmas Traditions from Around the World. And I've just got to share some of these with you. This is so funny. In Austria... If you're on the naughty list, it's really bad, right? I mean, you're not gonna just get some coal in your stocking. This guy, the Krampus, is gonna show up on Christmas night to terrorize you. Man, that, that's like a Halloween Christmas combo. I, you know, I'm not sure what that's about. And then in Japan, listen, in Japan, the Christmas tradition is to have a bucket of KFC for lunch. Isn't that the weirdest thing? A bucket of KFC. Way back in the 70s, true story, KFC did such a great job of advertising for Christmas that a bucket of KFC became the Christmas tradition. That's pretty good marketing. In, in the Czech Republic, they throw shoes. Now, for all the single ladies, pay attention to this. Today, when you get home, stand in the front door and throw a shoe over your left shoulder. Now, if that shoe lands on the ground facing you, you'll be married by the end of 2024. <laughs> In Venezuela, on Christmas Day, everybody roller skates to church. Isn't that crazy? 
I mean, imagine if we tried that. I guess getting out of the parking lot would be a little easier. Here's the, here's the fourth one, and this is the craziest one of all. This is in Spain. I think this guy's name is the Cagnier. And what it is, is it's a little figurine, a guy taking a poop. Now, the tradition is, is that somebody tries to sneak this guy into the nativity scene without anybody noticing. <laughs> and then when everybody discovers it, they all have a big laugh. Who came up with that tradition? Isn't that crazy? But traditions, and listen, we all have some because, again, they, the truth is they give us comfort. Because we can look back and see what we've always done. And it gives us some, some understanding and some clarity about what is to come. That's what Advent is all about. Advent is about looking back and seeing what God has already done. So that as we look forward and we face a relatively uncertain, sometimes scary future. What God has done gives us some assurance about what he will do. And that begins filling our hearts with peace and hope and joy, love. These big themes that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Now, one person that does a great job of capturing all this is the Apostle John. Now, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He wrote... The fourth book of the Bible, the, New Testament, the fourth book of the New Testament. The New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were all disciples, and they all wrote about the life and ministry of Jesus. It's an eyewitness account. And John does a great job of looking back because he grew up as a Jew and grew up understanding the Old Testament, understanding some things about the heart of God. So he begins his gospel by helping us to look back and to understand how what we know from the past makes the arrival of Jesus so significant. And then it's also John who wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which points to what is to come. And again, that's what... Advent is all about. And when we understand that, when we understand our spiritual heritage, when we understand what's been true about God for thousands of years, when we see his heart and character, then it helps us to know what is to come. Let me share three simple examples of that with you this morning. The first thing that we can learn when we kind of survey both Old and New Testaments, one of the things that we can learn is that God is gracious. God is gracious. John begins his gospel by pointing back to the beginning. He begins the gospel with this phrase, in the beginning. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but that's how the Bible begins. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, verse 1, chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, we were in paradise. I mean, it was beautiful. It was wonderful, right? The Garden of Eden, God and man together. But it didn't take long for things to go south. But you know what? God never gave up. God never gave up. In fact, sometimes when people have 
kind of surveyed from a distance the Old Testament. They think that God is angry and judgmental and just kind of out to get people almost. But the truth is, when you take a closer look, what you discover is, is that God never gives up. That despite man's rebellion, God keeps coming back and giving him another chance, giving him another chance, giving him another chance because God is a gracious God. So John begins his gospel by, by reminding us and saying, man, in the beginning was the word. And he begins to describe that God hasn't given up. He has a new strategy for bridging the gap between God and man. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start because God is gracious. Now, one of my favorite hobbies today is, is playing golf, basically because I'm too old to play other sports. And uh, so golf is the, is, is the new hobby now. And, and uh, I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy trying. And the guys that I play with, when you get on the first tee, now this is important because, you know, you get on the first tee and often there's people standing around watching, you know, everybody's kind of stacked up at the first tee. And, and I'm hitting that first tee shot. And, and well, sometimes it doesn't go where it should. But if you're playing in my group on the first tee, you get a mulligan. Does everybody know what a mulligan is? It's a do-over, right? So when you hit your first ball in the woods, which happens more often than I'd like to admit, no problem. Tee it up again. You get a free shot, right? And we forget all about the first one. Listen, God's into mulligans. My daughter says that's cheating, but God believes in mulligans. I mean, maybe you're here today and you would say, I think I've blown it. I've not really been a church person. I did a lot of things I'm ashamed of that I regret today. And what I want you to know is, God will give you another chance. He's a God of second chances, third chances. God God is into do-overs. He's a God of grace. In fact, when you look in the New Testament at some of the people that followed Jesus, what you realized is that they made a mess of their life too. Matthew, the guy that wrote the first book of the New Testament, the longest gospel account, he was a tax collector. I mean, he was basically a crooked IRS agent. (laughs) But instead of God giving up on Matthew, you know what Jesus said to Matthew? Hey, come follow me. And God's not giving up on you today. You know what he'd say? Hey, come follow me. And Jesus transformed Matthew's life. And he wrote the first book in the New Testament. Thinking about Mary Magdalene. And she was a woman who was a prostitute. Demon possessed. Most church people would have thought she, man, there's no hope for her. That's not how Jesus felt about it. Jesus set her free and gave her a fresh start, and she became one of his most important followers and companions. Or think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. He was the first missionary, church planter. But the Apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, was an international terrorist. Literally, he was a man who was determined to destroy the church. He was murdering Christians, throwing them in prison, but God didn't give up on Paul. He actually came after Paul. 
and got hold of his life, transformed his life. And, and now we all get to benefit 2,000 years later. God is in the second chance. You say, well, why would God do that? I mean, those people deserve God's judgment. And the truth is, you're right. And so did I. And so do you. But what God understands is, is it's not the threat of judgment that transforms hearts. It's an encounter with grace. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, think about the people in your life who are most influential. Look back on your history. Who had the most profound impact? And almost without exception, you know what you'll discover? It's a person who owed you judgment but gave you grace. And it transformed your life. See, what God understands is that people are too valuable to be discarded because of their mistakes. He wants to give them a fresh start. And it transforms lives. And then your life becomes a trophy of God's grace. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now listen, when I read this, you got to understand, Paul's not just talking about theology. He's not giving us just a little, a little biblical tidbit to, to chew on. This is his testimony. Paul says, if any man is in Christ... He is a new creation. And Paul's thinking to himself, thank you, Jesus. I'm a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. That old stuff is gone. God gave me a, a mulligan, a fresh start. Man, I've needed a fresh start so many times I can't count them all. I remember 23 years ago, I was 25 years old and pastored a little church down in Rose Hill, North Carolina. I was young and zealous and pastor in a church that was on average 50 years older than me. Thought I knew everything, made some mistakes as a leader and really lost the confidence in the church and I had to leave. I wasn't sure if Tina and I would get another chance. You know, in that moment it felt scarier than it probably was, but there was this little church of about 30 people in Greensboro, North Carolina decided to come let me be their pastor and, and look what God has done over the last 23 years because God doesn't give up. Amen? Isn't God good? He's a gracious God. Gracious God. In fact, listen, John goes so far in Revelation 21.5, John, Jesus says through, the, through John, he says, behold, I'm making all things New. Listen very clearly to me. I don't care what you, God doesn't care what you've done. Man, you can make a fresh start today. God is gracious. Christmas teaches us that because God didn't give up. He sent his son because he's a gracious God. Here's the second thing is that God is wise. God is wise. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then the Bible says that there was darkness over the face of the earth. Chaos ruled. But God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the darkness from the light. God brought order to the chaos. Well, thousands of years later, the world was in darkness again. 
And so John, again, reminds us of what God's done to help us to understand why Jesus is here and ultimately what he will accomplish. He says this, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish, can never overcome it. God wants to be the light in your darkness. God wants to bring order to the chaos. God, in other words, wants to show us the way. You ever been in total darkness? Man, over Thanksgiving, we, our family was in town and we lost power one night. And a couple years ago, I finally broke down and bought a generator. So I got out my generator, cranked it up for the first time. I was so excited. We're back in action, got lights again. About an hour later, the carbon monoxide detectors started going off. Yes, that's bad. That happens, that's bad. And uh, so we called a firefighter friend and he said, get out of the house! You know, he was, he was panicking and, and we probably should have been. We were too ignorant to know. And anyway, we got out of the house and the fire department came and, and sure enough, the levels were a little elevated and, and uh, so they had to open windows and blow it all out and make sure everything was fine. And what had happened is when we cranked the generator, the wind was actually blowing some of the exhaust under the house into the crawl space and it was leaking up through the floor and, and it can actually be deadly. And one of the things that I learned is if you're not careful in the dark, there's some danger in the dark. And sometimes in life, we find ourselves in the dark. Sometimes in life, we're not sure which way to turn. Sometimes in life, we've lost our way. Sometimes in life, we're in a situation and, and we're just not sure what the right choice is. But Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus entered into the world to show us what it looks like to live in a relationship with the Father, to live in the kingdom of God, to experience God's best, to show us the way, to be the light. In fact, I love where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus came to show us the way in our darkness. I love what Psalm 119, 105, David says this. He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. In other words, God wants to show us the way. God wants to be the light. God doesn't want us to live in darkness. I love how he says this in Revelation 22.5. John says, in the kingdom of God, and I don't know if you know this or not, here's the whole Bible in about two sentences. In the first two chapters, we're in paradise with God. In the last two chapters, we're in paradise with God. And the story of the Bible is a gracious, wise God who is desperately trying to get everybody who will back in paradise forever. And in Revelation 22, 5, the Bible says that in that place, there'll be no need for lights, no need for a sun because the glory of God will illuminate everything, will penetrate and eliminate every dark place, every shadow. The glory of the Lord will light up all of creation. Isn't that good? 
Here's a third simple thing, is that God is present. God is gracious, God is wise, God is present. John chapter one, verse 14, it says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. He came to be with us. Now listen again, this is the story of the Bible. In the first two chapters of the Bible, it says God created heaven and earth. Heaven and earth were the same place. God and man lived together. Heaven is simply the dwelling place of God. When the first two chapters of the Bible, that was on the earth with Adam and Eve. They were together. In chapter 3, Adam and Eve declared independence. And it was their rebellion that drug pain and evil and sin and suffering into God's creation. But in John chapter 1, what John wants us to understand is that God created us to be with us. And Jesus has come to make that possible. Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and man. Jesus came to make it possible for all of us to have a relationship with God. See, your relationship with God's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance, right? It's by faith we are saved. It's by faith, not of works. As any of us, we're not boasting about what we've done. We're actually boasting in what Jesus has done for us. God came to be with us. God is present. God, let me say it this way. God is closer than you think. You know, so many times we have this thought that God is off in the distance somewhere. He's not paying attention. He doesn't really care. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Jesus came. This is, you want to see an example of his wisdom? Jesus came died on the cross to pay for our sin, rose from the dead to give us eternal life, ascended to the Father so that we could be in a place of victory, then sent the Holy Spirit. Watch this. When we open our heart and trust in Jesus, that means we receive Jesus as our Savior and King, we receive His forgiveness and grace, and that moment we're washed clean, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. He comes to live in us and do in and for and through us what we've proven for thousands of years we're incapable of doing. He says, I'm going to come and do it in you. See, God is present. And if you'll open your heart to him, he actually will come to live inside of you. The word became flesh. The idea here is the Greek word is tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle is where God lived. And if you'll open your heart to Jesus today, you become the tabernacle. You become the temple. God comes to live inside of you. His spirit united with our spirit. So that's how we know we're the children of God and his spirit in us producing his life, his character in us so that everybody who sees us sees God. Isn't that good? See, what we learn when we study the Christmas story is that God is gracious, that God is wise, that God is present. See, what John's trying to help us do is to look back and to understand why Jesus has come 
so that in the midst of our chaos, we have hope and peace and joy and love despite our circumstances because we know who holds our future. A good, good God. Amen? Isn't that good? Now, here's the challenge. For a lot of us, we don't really know our history. We don't know what the Bible says is true about God. We have all of these misconceptions. And I want to do my best to clear those up. How many of you would love to have that cleared up? Man, I, I, I want to make sure that you know just how good God is. But we're out of time today. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do starting in January. Next Sunday, we will not have church. So stay home. Enjoy your family. Celebrate the new year. Reflect on 23. Prepare for 24. We're going to send out a, a message by video just to encourage you and strengthen you and, and to help you be ready for the next year. But then on January 7th, we'll be back. We'll start the new year together. And we're going to go back to the Old Testament and we're going to study the 50 most important stories from the Old Testament. Because I want you to know just how good God is. Because I think what that's going to do is it's going to give you an anchor for your soul. So I want to ask you to join us. You say, wow, man, this is the first time I've ever visited your church. I'm not coming to your church all year next year. That's, you're, you're asking a lot. Okay, I get, I get that. I get that. Give me the month of January. Just give me the first four weeks. First four weeks. And I'm just convinced if you begin to understand the heart of God, the story of God, that He's going to begin stirring something new and fresh and, and life changing in your heart. So I want to just ask you to make a commitment. I'm going to be here for the month of January and see what God will do. Now, for some of you, maybe you're here today and you're ready. You're ready to take the first step to open your heart today and trust in Jesus, to receive forgiveness and grace, to make a fresh start. So if that's you, I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. It's not magic, it's not a formula, it's just a way for you to simply invite Jesus to come into your life. Listen, the Bible says whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, if you'll invite Jesus in, his answer is always yes. Now listen, this is not a trick. I'm not going to call you up here to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm just going to give you a chance right there in your seat to talk to God and invite Jesus into your life. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Same thing for those of you that have joined us online. If you're ready to invite Jesus into your heart, if you want to make a fresh start, then right there where you are, pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. Today I'm opening my heart. Today I'm receiving you as my Savior and King. Jesus, I'm asking you for forgiveness and grace. Lord, I want to make a fresh start today. Lord, help me to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.